I can't tell you exactly how long the study is going to go, <laughs> like I ever could. <laughs> uh, but we begin a study tonight that I've been looking forward to. I've been working on it for some time. And it's not one that you jump into uh, too easily. It takes a lot of background work and a lot of re-education. And that, for me, uh, to be able to get into a study like this, uh, I've... This really is one, it involved a, a, a chapter, a book that I've been writing, you guys know about, about the forgotten attributes of God, uh, and that is with regard to time. And uh, usually when I reference that with people, I'm usually talking about the end times, I'm talking about is there time after the end of this age, and I've had lots of opportunity to engage pastors with that because too often we communicate that there's going to be a cessation of time. And that's not in the scriptures, that time goes on. Uh, in the new heaven and new earth, there will be months, which means there has to be days and nights and weeks. And we, and we have communicated, miscommunicated a lot of scripture in this respect. Um, but uh, the context of what I've been writing and studying on is really with regard to is God constrained to time? And that sent me in, that was that chapter, that God constrains himself to time once he created time. And we hear a lot of people communicating that God in his eternality operates outside of time. And in fact, I have a friend that is praying for people in the Bible. Okay, because he believed that God can take his prayers from today, implement them, 3,000 years ago and help people in Old Testament times because God is back there as well as here. And um, this is a very intelligent person that is doing this. This is not uh, a nincompoop that's doing this. So we, we have communicated a lot of misinformation about what it means to have an eternal God who created time. And while we could say he can live or exist outside of time, that does not make him the ultimate time traveler that somehow he is functioning in cross time. So that's the context of what I'm writing about. That's not what we're studying. Okay. <laughs> that's how I got to what we're studying. And so I started looking from a biblical perspective on how God uh, communicates to us over time. And this leads into a lot of things. It's taken me from Genesis to, Ex to Exodus. That's a long ways. From Genesis to Revelation. And so uh, I want to just share some of this with you, and, and I want to give you a little bit of my journey, how I get to these studies. Uh, similarly, if you remember on my study on food and eating as worship, that, that there was a biblical mandate from Genesis to Revelation that we should be worshiping God, that part of our worship is food, is eating together, eating before the Lord, and that the preparation of that, as well as the presentation and the activity of that is all worship and we and uh and so we talked about that and again that's something else i've written quite a bit about um but we come to this and, and i was really challenged by several things that i realized came to realize that a lot of my understanding of time is is not biblical my understanding and from the very foundation of things of what we consider a day and things like that, that we're going to look and through this from a Western perspective, that we have a modern Western idea of it that is very different than 
uh, a biblical, which is generally Eastern, and it's not just Eastern because there's Eastern ideas of time we're going to challenge as well over the course of this study. But what is a biblical understanding of uh, things that we build our lives around? Of what makes a day? What what is a uh, week? And of course, uh, I've had to deal with people about why don't you worship on Saturdays instead of Sundays because that's the Sabbath. And we're going to talk about the Sabbath in two weeks right away because that's very early on in our study because that's in the creation week, right? Is built upon that. And we're going to talk about what and why you even people worshiping on Saturday aren't worshiping on the Sabbath, as we're going to see, um, because that's not following the biblical calendar. And so we're looking at uh, holidays, including today's Passover, the beginning of Passover, and then starting tomorrow is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We're going to be going through all of the Israelite feasts uh, as uh, in terms of not only their timing, but their purpose and their correlation with an agricultural society. Uh, For example, a lot of them are in September, uh, that period of time to us in the fall, uh, where we have a cluster of three major holidays uh, biblically in the Old Testament. We're going to be talking about uh, scheduling, uh, about how do we come up with December 25th, and uh, January 8th, and uh, these kinds of as, as, as events, and are they correct? And we're going to, I'm, I'm hope I'm going to convince you that we are way off on the December 25th, but the January 8th is probably pretty um, correct in terms of the Magi. And so that's Three Kings Day, if you're wondering what that day is. That's Three Kings Day. And so which is still celebrated in several parts, especially in uh, the Eastern Orthodox Church. And so we want to just evaluate, and, and we could jump in the middle with some interesting material that might tickle your ears, but if without a foundation of it biblically, that's all it really is. And so we're going to be even talking about what we call the days of the week, and you know I've been struggling with that because I've been purposely, for at least two years, trying to avoid using the word Sunday, uh, I'd rather use the term the Lord's Day, and we're going to be addressing that when we get to that facet of it, um, because all the days of the week are named after what? In our, uh, in our language, pagan gods. And so we, we don't find that in other cultures, including in the country of Greece, and that's where I really ran up against it. I was really in the midst of my study on time, and I'm talking to our tour guide, and, and she was like, um, no, here it's preparation, Sabbath, Lord's Day, second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day. <laughs> That's the days of the week's names in Greek uh, when you go to Greece. And so those are the names of the days. And so, uh, and it really challenged me that, we're, that here we're, we call days after Greek and Roman gods, and the Greeks don't even call them after Greek and Roman gods. And so we have a very Western uh, and very modern and very pagan concept of this. And so to unlearn these things is very difficult. And I've been doing that ever since then. I've been really trying to challenge myself. And that's taken me into some strange areas. And, and, uh, and, and sometimes it's taken me to scary areas on the Internet. And I just as soon as I get there, I'm like, i got to get out of here because this is bizarre. Uh, let's stick to the Bible and let's go back there 
and, and try to get this right from the scripture and, and not from, you know, this is from aliens and stuff like that because that's all out there too. We know that. And so uh, I'm not trying to propose that everything in Western concept of this is erroneous. Uh, just like if you go to Israel today, they still think Saturday is a Sabbath, but of course it could not have been because they weren't on the calendar we're on, okay? And we're going to look at that, like I said, in two weeks. I was going to do it next week, but next week is his resurrection, Lord's Day. It's the Lord's Day. Um, you could call it Easter. That's okay, because that's German. I know there's groups out there. There's groups out there that say Easter is this worship of, of a goddess, Esther, and that's not where the term Easter came from. The term Easter is derived from a German word that says first to rise. That's what it means in German. So that's the origin of the term Easter. And I have several friends that are all every, this week, I know this week, there's going to be multiple things on my Facebook. That, Easter, you use that term. And, it's, uh, and every time I take the same posting, it's from the German word first to rise. And of course, we know Jesus Christ is permanent, risen from the dead, the, the first fruits of the resurrection from the dead. So um, it's okay to use that term Easter, we, but the connotations have been manipulated a bit. And of course, you know that historically as our church, we have been celebrating Orthodox Easter for many years, and this year is a departure from that uh, because Orthodox Easter has historically been lined up with, with Passover. And this year, Orthodox Easter isn't for three more weeks and we're going to talk about why and uh, that it is set up possibly that maybe this, be, uh, why it uh, missed it this year when every other year it's usually uh, the traditional Easter that misses Passover. But on this year, uh, there was a change and we're going to talk a little bit about that as well. So we're going to lay a foundation. I ask you to be patient with this. And I know you want to get to knowing exactly when Christ was born, because I do know exactly when Christ was born. Okay? We know that. And it's in the scriptures. But because we don't know the Gospels very well and the terminology used, and we don't know the foundation of Old Testament stuff that's given to us. We know, for example, we know when uh, Zechariah was in the temple. Do you know when Zechariah was in the temple? Because you can derive that from Scripture. And why is that important? Because if you know when Zechariah was in the temple, you know when Jesus was born. Huh? Eight days before. No, Zechariah was in the temple. <laughs> eight days before. When Zechariah is in the temple, right, he goes home. And so we know when he would have gone home if you know when he's supposed to be in the temple because Luke tells us what period of time so we're down to two weeks so we know at the end of those two weeks he went home and we know that he got his wife pregnant when he went home and that Mary went to visit her in her sixth month of her pregnancy so we know when Mary went to visit her and when Mary went to visit her she was pregnant because John the Baptist was in the womb and leapt and so if we know that Mary was pregnant when she went to visit Elizabeth and you know when Elizabeth was pregnant during the year then you know when Mary was delivered wow Okay, that's just a snapshot. I'll go through that all very, very carefully with you when we get to that, but that's like months from now. 
because that's the New Testament. We have to go through the whole Old Testament first. Okay, so we're going to go through all of those things that help me to be able to tell you that. I'm just telling you I'm way ahead of you. Okay, that's all I want you to know right now is I'm, way, I'm on this. All right, I've been on this for two years, and now you're going to have to catch up. And so we're going to lay a foundation, and so it does matter the period of time of when the different worship schedule was, because the worship schedule helps us to tell us all the rest. And we can piece all of this together, uh, but again, we're going to have to be willing to uh, really dig into the scriptures a little bit and put some of these things on paper for us. So we're going to start tonight very simply and with Genesis chapter 1. I invite you to turn your Bibles there. Genesis chapter 1. We're going to start off with defining a day. We're going to start off with the day, and then next week we're going to talk about months, and, uh, and specific, more about weeks more than months. We're going to talk about weeks next in two weeks. Uh, we're going to talk about what is a week and how does it work, and then really important is the months. When we get to months in Scripture, uh, we have a very different view of months than we have a concept of months uh, because we're not going to deal with a solar calendar at all. And, of course, that was the case there. So let's begin. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. We're going to stop right there. That's going to be a repeated phrase over and over again throughout the creation account. The evening and the morning were the first day. So we have a definition of day even before there is a sun and a moon and stars, correct? We have a, a defined period of time that is a day. Now those that want to come to the scripture and deny the uh, creation account and insert modern scientific concepts into here want to say, well, these aren't days, these are ages, these are eons of time. And it's called the day-age theory. And I'm well acquainted with that. And it doesn't hold water because nowhere in Scripture are those Hebrew words associated with ages. The words used here describe uh, a period of time that happens in a 24-hour cycle. And so the uh, description of this is a day is the evening and the morning. Now, what do you consider a day? Help us out. You, you know, what's a day? 24 hours. But when does it start? What a weird time to start. Why would you start a day in the middle of the night? How bizarre is that? No one's there to see it. How do you mark it without a clock? <laughs> the, yeah, if, if I go by the setting and the rising of the sun, now I know I can, I can recognize I don't need a clock, do I? Because when the sun sets, that's evening. And that means the new day has begun. And we're going to talk a little bit about why this is important at this juncture, why we start with the night and then have the daylight be the, the rest of the day. That night, time, that, that night is not the, it's not just randomly that God's word said evening and morning is the first day, uh, that he just randomly put night as the beginning. Sunset is not the end, it is the end of a day, it is the beginning of another day. And in all of Scripture, you will find that consistent, in all of the Old Testament at least, in most of the, of the uh, 
Gospels, the concept of the day is that it begins at sunset. And even today, today's, wait a minute, the sun's still up, right? So today's still Pentecost, not Pentecost, sorry. Today's Passover, it started today at sunset to your yesterday. And it might be very confusing. It's going to be a problem that we're going to encounter through this whole study is what day is it? Because you think it's Friday, but you go to Israel and it's Saturday. Not because of the time change, but because the day starts at sunset. In the scriptures, the day starts at sunset. One day ends, another day starts then. Not at midnight in the middle of the night, nor at sunrise. Why does the day start at sunrise? And why isn't it morning and evening is the first day? And it goes back to a testimony, really, of this first day of creation recorded for us here in Genesis 1. That God created, the first thing God created was what? Light. Okay, God created the heavens and the earth, it says. The earth was without form, without form and void. Darkness was on the face of the deep. So we, we know that there were waters uh, we know that he created all of that matter. I would contend that he created all of the matter, but it was, but it, and it is encapsulated or, or uh, described as being uh, enveloped in waters. And water is a huge thing in the creation narrative. Uh, it's going to be multiple things along here. And the study of water is one of the most fascinating studies in all of science. It still confounds us. We don't understand why it acts so different than everything else. It is the building block of creation. And, and so technically God created the waters and all of that, but it was all void. That is, it was, it was, it was empty and it was shapeless. And there was just darkness. And so uh, we begin the creation account not with... Uh, God's sitting there in brilliant light. We don't start with light. We actually start with empty, disorganized mass, waters particularly, that's in darkness. And so when we come to this first day that we find that God intercedes there, he began by creating that, and of course there's another theory that's trying to connect science with scriptures and, and help them agree with one another. And that's called the gap theory. The first one I said was the day-age theory. This is the gap theory that between Genesis 1-1 and 2 and verse 3, there was an enormous gap uh, of time that allowed for evolution. I don't know how evolution happened without any light. Okay, I don't know how plants grew. I don't know how any of that happened. Uh, I don't know. So, but that's the gap theory. And again, it doesn't hold water. <laughs> Come on, on my game tonight. So, it doesn't hold on. It doesn't work. And so, God begins by creating the heavens and the earth in their disorganized, void, empty, that is, that there's nothing filling those waters. And this is the basic building block that He's going to do. He creates the materials He's going to use. And then He comes in and intercedes. And again, this is ex nihilo. That means out of nothing. And we also talk about that it's simply by the breath of God. By his words alone, he creates. And so he speaks 
and what he speaks comes into existence. And so we start in the creation narrative not with light. Now we are told in John, 1 John 1, where does God reside? God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And that's what John declares. And again, everyone that we have record of that has visited uh, the heavenly throne room is the overwhelming nature of light that is there. And so we have a great distinction between the throne room of God where he resides and this created order that he has not imposed or, or placed upon any of who he is upon it yet. He has simply created the basic building blocks, and now he's about to move. And the first action that he takes is to create light. Let there be light. Boom, there was light. So where do we start the day with? The first day of creation, what did it start with? The light or the dark? It was darkness. And so when we say the day starts at sunset, we are saying creation started in the dark. That that's where it all began. It began with darkness. And then there came light by the, the command of God. By the word of God came light. Now that light was not derived from the sun, remember, because the sun is going to be created like, what, day four or something? And so we're going to have darkness and light that is distinguishable from one another, but their origin is where? Where is, where's the origin of this light? Interesting, it's the same origin that you look forward to in the New Jerusalem. Because you have a concept of, the, of heaven that's going to be a very bright place, right? Um, what do you expect? Is there going to be nighttime in heaven for the Christian? No, the Bible says there will be no need of the sun because Jesus is the light. But that really doesn't apply to all of heaven. That's only the new Jerusalem because on the new earth there is day and night and months and weeks and things like that. We're going to talk about that when we get to Revelation. Hang on, we'll get there. It'll be a year or two from now, but we'll get there, okay? Unless the Lord comes and then we'll be in the light and he can tell you about it, okay? And you can look out the window of your place on the pyramid of God in the new Jerusalem and say, hey, it's dark over there uh, in Egypt. So, That was a leftover from three weeks ago, okay, sermon. So we come to the understanding that when we begin the day at sunset, that when it is dark, and sunset is not just when you can't see the sun anymore, it's the end of, it's that twilight period, and we know that there's a transition from the setting of the sun till darkness, but we are communicating something, and that is that the world began, time began in the dark. That it was darkness when time began. And that when the day ends is, is a light. That there is that setting of the sun. That that is the conclusion of the day. And we're looking to the sun at the end of a day. That, and by the way, the end of time as we know it. And when we transition to the eternal time out of this age into that age to come. We are going to be looking at what? The sun. Okay, and then there will be no further darkness for those of us in New Jerusalem. And, and again, that would be the church 
And those that are outside the church, specifically Israel, are promised the new earth. And so all of them are redeemed people. And we, we find that this is a testimony we're giving when we mark the day. And so when we mark the, the beginning of a day in the middle of darkness, where does the day end? In the middle of darkness. The testimony of that clock, of that definition of a day, is that everything started in darkness and ended in darkness. And that is not what we believe. That's not what the Bible teaches. That it begins in darkness and it ends in light. Except for one group of people. There is one group of people that it will start in darkness and end in darkness. Who is that? The unbelievers. Because while heaven is a place we describe as full of light, what is the lake of fire? Utter darkness. Outer darkness. Weeping and gnashing. And so it ends, for the, so the, the, the world itself, your whole concept of the world, if began in darkness, both views have the day beginning in darkness. One is in the middle of the dark and then ends in the dark. And if we're treating that as a 24-hour day, we are saying my world begins in the dark and my world is going to end in the dark and that is the testimony of an unbeliever, not a believer. I don't plan on ending in the dark. Do you? I hope not. That is the whole message of the gospel is that I'm going to end in the light. That, that the final moments of this age, I'm going to see the sun in the western sky. I'm going to see that sun. It's setting. I'm going with that. That's the end is me with the sun. I'm going with the sun. And yes, you can insert S-U-N for S-O-N. It's done at least once in Scripture. The son of righteousness. And yes, they use the Hebrew word for that ball of fire up there. S-U-N. And so we have right away the definition of the day taking on some theological principles that we are looking at. How do we define a day compared to how God's word and the Eastern world defines a day as testimony, testifying of something. What do you believe about the beginning and end? And so we believe that all the world began in darkness, and so as darkness takes hold, that is the beginning of the day, and, and to testify that there was darkness at the beginning, and then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And thus that is the balance of the time. From that point forward, there is light. Now, let's talk about light a little bit. Uh, what is light? The opposite of darkness. <laughs> okay? This is a great scientific question. I'm really into the science tonight, okay? So I'm just, I'm just busting science here. Now, let me give you a scientific question that even scientists can't answer. Is light particle or wave? They don't know, so they say both. Because it has attributes of both. Having attributes of both makes it very difficult because how do we define it? Because if it's particular, what does that make it? A something that with no causation. It is self-existent. It exists as a manipulable object. All right. So so this is this is made of part particles. I can touch it, feel it. I can manipulate it, and we do that to light. 
you, you, you love the fact that we can do that to light because most of your phone calls are done that way. They manipulate light. What do they do with it? They send it through fiber optic cables, which means they're bending light all over the place and making it travel under the ocean all the way up and pop up in the Philippines and, and then it transfers it to a tower that goes beep, 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 beep. And so their phones connect to my phone uh, through this intercontinental under the water thing. You think it's a satellite, but it's not. Uh, very little communication goes through satellites, extraordinarily little. In fact, pretty much just military communication goes over satellites. Most of yours is going to go through cables underneath the ocean. They're constantly laying those cables under the ocean, more and more of them, bigger and bigger, always. There's pretty much always, every hour, every moment of the day, there are boats going back and forth across the ocean, laying down fiber optic cables at the bottom of the sea. Did you know that? Because okay. of your communication desires to reach everywhere in the world. And so, um, we manipulate light like it's a thing. Because God said, let there be light. Light itself uh, is a very difficult thing for us to deal with. So we have the first two elements of God's creation that just those two elements, water and light, totally confound scientists. The very fundamental things of created order have got us snookered. We have a difficult time defining it. We, we certainly appreciate it. We manipulate it. We use it. Uh, but to try to fully embrace and understand it is extraordinarily difficult. We don't understand why water expands when you freeze it, when everything else, when you freeze it, shrinks. Water is the only thing that expands when you freeze it. Everything else shrinks. You may say, well, this thing expands. Well, that's because milk expands. Well, that's because it's mostly water. Okay, I know milk expands when you freeze it. Um, but that's because it's mostly water. <laughs> Take out the water, what do you got? Powdered milk. Yeah. You freeze powdered milk, it will shrink. Try it sometime. Without the water, it doesn't expand. So, we have all of these things. The science is, is confounded by the very first three verses of Genesis with the fundamental elements that God is introducing, water and light. And so, we have the definition of a day that we begin in darkness, we move to light, and as we move to light, we realize that God is, is bringing forth this light from himself. Now you might say, well, it's, it's radiating from him. Well, now you're treating light as a wave. Or is it something that, is, that has been poured out toward us? Well, now you're treating it as a, as a, as a particle. And the answer is unanswerable for us, really. That's why we really just conclude both. We can treat it like a particle, we can treat it like a wave, and we get uh, anticipated results of both of them that seem to go against each other. This first act of God's creation, this first evening and morning that creates a day, uh, is uh, overwhelming us with science right away, that science frankly can't answer a lot of this, and, and if they were honest, they would say this is a God thing. This is beyond us. We can create waves, and we can, create, and we can manipulate and develop particles, um, but something that's both, we rely upon light. Whether that's a, a different kinds of light, we have you know, uh, 
lasers and things like that that we rely upon extensively. And as I said, fiber optic cables and, and uh, a lot of the uh, early players were using light. Your DVD player uses light to read a DVD. And so light is a very precious thing that God introduces. And from then on, there was light and darkness. They are divided from each other. Interesting word there. God says, God divided the light from the darkness. Can you conceive of light and dark in the same place? Right. In our experience, they don't coexist. But there's a reason that happens. That is a law of nature. It is not a law of nature. It is a law of God's creation that God separated light from darkness. Which drives out which? Light drives out darkness. Darkness has neither, has neither particle nor wave. Darkness is the absence of those. Darkness has no attributes that we can scientifically communicate, which is what the Bible says, that it was empty, it was void. Emptiness of not only the waters in terms of land and creatures, but the whole idea that darkness is that void of, of, of anything. And darkness is the void of light. And once you have the introduction of that, but God says, I separated those two. I am the one that made them incompatible with one another. And that's going to be a very important part of next Lord's Day's message in the morning. So I can't go too far on this, right? Because the first description of you is you've gone from darkness to light. So praise the Lord I got to give you this tonight. It'll be a good warm-up. And now you can study 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 8 and be ready for next Lord's Day, Easter, and uh, to talk about how you went from darkness to light. But it is God that separated them. And because of that, we can't even conceive of them being in the same place at the same time. I will contend with you that there is an, a facet of this that only God can overcome, and that is the facet of in the eternal state of the wicked, where you might say, well, there's judgment, it's darkness and all of that, yet there is some attribute of God there in the dark. What is the attribute of God glorified in the lake of fire forever and ever? His holiness, his righteousness, his justice is glorified in that place. And when you think of the word glorified, what do you think of? You think of light, glory. The Shekinah glory was so bright, it drove people out of the temple. When Moses met with God and his glory reflected off of his face, Israel couldn't look at it. And so there is a glory aspect even to the darkness, but the separation of darkness and light is really the work of God that we only know. That, that's all we know because no people lived before this except God. Now, is darkness evil? No. Because at the end of the first day, evening and morning, uh, what did God say about everything he had done? It was good. It was good. Now, does the Bible have a lot to say about darkness representing evil? Uh, yes, and we're going to talk about that just a little bit. I have five minutes. Uh, but 
uh, in terms of its created order, it is not necessarily inherently evil. It, ha it, it takes on the concept of evil because of men's abuse of darkness. What, how, what are men's abuse of darkness? That it becomes the description or the go-to to refer to uh, ignorance, to refer to uh, sin, to re refer to um, uh, evil in general. Uh, wicked country, uh, those in darkness have seen a great light. It refers to that place of, of great need. Uh, those are all described as being in the dark. Why is darkness described that way? It's described that way because I can't let you answer because I have no more time. Uh, <laughs> so I'm going to tell you the answer. It's described that way because of what darkness entails. It entails an avoid. Why is darkness ignorance? Because ignorance isn't being stupid. Ignorance is not having information. It is the void of knowledge. Okay, so if I, if I, now you use the, by the way, the world has supercharged the word ignorance, at least in New Mexico. If you tell someone they're ignorant, they're going to get mad at you and try to shoot you. Okay, so just don't use that because they don't understand the word ignorance. Their ignorance causes the word ignorance to be a charged word. Okay, um, there are things I'm ignorant about. I'll admit it. Right? And, I, and there's some things I don't even want to know about. I want to remain ignorant about. Uh, frankly, I just don't want to know that. Uh, I want to be ignorant when it comes to evil and things like that. I want to be ignorant about what goes on inside my computer. I really don't want to know. Okay? I'm pretty sure I'd be throwing it out the window if I knew what was going on in there. Yeah. There are little demons in there I know doing stuff. Um, <laughs> So darkness is a void. So we talk about coming out of darkness to light of going as the role of an educator to get you from ignorance to being informed. And ignorance is the void of knowledge, the emptiness. So we use darkness to describe that, not because darkness is inherently evil, but because it represents emptiness. And it's interesting that even in the dark, God says, I don't want the dark to remain empty. And so, before he's done with the creation week, he's going to fill the dark with light. Isn't that wonderful? Even the dark is, God says, I'm going to put some lights in the sky. We're going to talk about those a little bit more next week, when we, or two weeks from now, when we talk about what a week is. You see, you don't even know what a week is, and now I told, used it two weeks from now, and we don't even know what a week is. But 14 days from now, because you know what a day is now, we're going to talk about moving from darkness to light. Well, God's going to fill the darkness with light. Because there is no true darkness once you have the knowledge of God. But those in darkness are those that are in ignorance. Why is, why is sin characterized as darkness? Well, again, it is that absence of the, of the acknowledgement or the submission to the righteousness of God. It is that void of righteousness. You don't have to go out there and murder people to be a sinner. What was the first sin? Was the first sin a sin of commission or omission? It was commission. I'm going to do something that God told me not to do. 
but there are also sins of omission, of just not doing what I was told to do. Both are sinful, and so when we talk about darkness, darkness is that void of being interested in righteousness, of doing the right thing. Whether you were told to do it, or whether you just know you should do it, and so we describe it as darkness. Now, uh, I am going to have to put a parenthesis in here to help Scott out, right? because he's writing this paper on, on what is it? Multiculturalism, which somehow puts a big shadow onto racism and all these other things. So, people understood that in the Bible, darkness is associated with ignorance, associated with sin, associated with evil, and so therefore, dark-skinned people must be what? Evil. And it became what? The mark of Cain, the first evil guy, right? Like Adam and Eve weren't. And and so Cain, who killed his brother, God said, I'm going to put a mark on you. And that mark was his skin became black. And that's where we came up with that. I don't know if you've read your whole Bible, but <laughs> that really didn't become a thing until after the flood. After really the Tower of Babel, that became a thing. And so genetically, we know that Adam and Eve, this is again science class, this is tonight, sorry, um, Adam and Eve were light brown, medium brown, medium brown, medium brown. Medium brown skin, hair, eyes. Why? We can prove that because genetically that combination produces everything else. And yes, none of you are white. No, none of you are white. Um, some of your t-shirts are white. The pages on your book, some of them are white. Um, you are very light brown. You are just melanoman challenged. Okay, uh, the concept of white people is, is, when I hear that term, I go, no, I'm not. Uh, I, and freckled people are two-toned, so we have, we're the ultimate minority. Yeah. And, uh, and so the whole spectrum of browns that make up the humanity are derived really from a light brown, light brown, light brown. And so if you see pictures of Adam and Eve, and Eve's got this flowing blonde hair, please throw it away because that is not what it was, all right? And I know and it's always flowing and long because it has to cover all important parts. And, uh, but it was not that. It, it might have been red, but probably light brown, all right? And so light brown create, or medium brown creates everything else. And so if you have medium brown skin, medium brown eyes, medium brown hair, you're probably perfect, right? Because that's just like God before he created. I mean, but we want to take that. I want to just insert that because if we get too far down this road of saying, well, darkness is evil, uh, then we get to those kinds of absurdities that are in church history that was taught in churches that the mark of Cain was dark skin because dark is evil. I want you to see in the Genesis account that at the end of the first day, darkness wasn't evil. God didn't create good and evil that first day. He said, I'm going to separate darkness from light, and I created light. Darkness is simply the absence thereof. I'm separating those two. You'll never, you'll never be able to participate in both, which is real important in next week's message. And now um, that's all good. At the end of day one, evening and morning, day one, all good. Darkness is a good thing. I love the dark. 
I sleep much better in the dark. Do you sleep better in the dark? If you've ever had to work the night shift, you know the first thing you want to do if you get a night shift job is, is you get those windows that black out your wind, you get those shades that black out your windows so you can sleep. You see how good the dark is? It lets you rest. Because darkness in itself is not the problem, but it is but we take it to represent the absence of. The absence of good is all it takes. The absence of knowledge is all it takes. The absence of. Darkness is the absence of light. And so we start the day at sunset with the dark period to say there was a darkness, but now there's a light. God has intervened. And once God intervenes, that's it. From there forward, there's light. When there's dark again, we're going back to the creation first day. And again, reminding ourselves at sunset, it all began with darkness, but then God brought light, and it's been light ever since. We are celebrating, by the definition of a day, we are communicating something. Now, are we going to turn the world upside down and start all of our day clocks at sunset? Well, no, because you don't need a clock to know that, right? But I want to communicate to you so that as you study the scripture from here on out, we know what a day is. It is a testimony to the first acts of God's creation. It began with the dark and then went to the light. Now, I'm going to give you an assignment for next, for, for 14 days from now. Now, you know what a day is. You don't know what a week is, but 14 days from now, um, I have an assignment for you, and that is, I want you to tell me what phase the moon was in when it was created. I, you, you can't tell me what it was. You have to do your research. You just Don't just get off-the-cuff stuff. That's the Internet, okay? Um, Meditate on this a little bit. Um, you can search the scriptures, um, but we're going to talk about the moon and sun because that's going to help us on other studies. But there's your assignment. Uh, what phase of the moon, what phase was the moon in when it was created? On that fourth day, right? Fourth day of creation, third. It was a, you know why tonight is a full moon? It was actually last is because it's Passover. So every Passover is a full moon. Every Passover is a full moon. But I'm not sure it was in the Bible. We'll talk about that in three weeks, 21 days. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the testimony of it, that here right off at the very beginning of time that you created, that you have granted to us the wonder of your power and your majesty, your knowledge that is beyond our understanding, really, beyond certainly our experience. And, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to consider from your word what you say is a day, that evening and morning is a day. And we see the testimony of that in your very handiwork on the earth. And and we pray that we might uh, view every sunset afresh and every sunrise afresh 
from the perspective of looking at, at a testimony of your created order. And Lord, we look forward to an eternity in the light. But we also know that there is a darkness, even into eternity as well. And Lord, help us to have the compassion for people who are, uh, have that as their future, that, will, that their days will end in the middle of the night just as they've begun in the dark. And Lord, that we might share with them the light of life of Jesus Christ and the salvation that you have provided. And we thank you for the study. We pray you might continue to uh, just work by your spirit in our hearts and minds, that we might uh, be willing to conform ourselves to your word and bring it into our very living. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.